Welcome to you to Parkview. Uh, we're glad to have all of you here. We're applauding for all of our campuses, for you at Facebook Live. We're glad to have you here all over the place watching us. Let me tell you about next week. If, you, if you're online, you're definitely going to want to tune in to next week or, or at least catch it afterwards or whatever. Um, I've invited my friend Brian. I only have one rock star friend, and his name is Brian Headwell. She's uh, the lead guitarist for Korn. And um, uh, I mean, it may seem weird that Brian and I are friends because I was never really a big death metal band kind of guy. Um, but, but Brian is like the coolest Christian guy I've ever met in my life. And he is doing a great job of being Jesus to a place, to a world that... I mean, like I, I, nobody else has access to 100,000 fans in Mexico City last, last, last week. And, and this, there's a story. The reason Brian's coming in, Brian's coming in with his, with his, with his daughter, Jenea, because they've got a documentary on Showtime. If you got Showtime, um, you're going to want to download this. You're going to watch it. Uh, it's a documentary about uh, what it was like for him. He, uh, he, he was on drugs, you know, doing the rock star thing. He was on drugs. Finally decided he was going to come clean, came to Jesus, and uh, decided he was going to quit the band and raise his daughter because he was a single dad at that point of her. And so it's their story. And, he, and they're going to be here next week. Don't miss it. And here's the other thing. Uh, I mean, there are people that, that you know that, that need church, that need Jesus. And if you told them, hey, lead guitarist from Corn is going to be here. I mean, he quit the band, but now he's back with them. Lead guitarist from Corn is going to be here next weekend after they do the, oh, funny April Fool's joke thing to you. Um, they're going to want to be here. So I, I want to pack the place next weekend. Let, let's make it happen. We're finishing up this series, Pina Coladas. We've used that song as kind of a relationship series way to talk about things. We talked in the first week about how we all come into a relationship with a box of hopes and dreams and desires, okay? Uh, they're, they're all the ways that we think uh, like we ought to be able to manage our time. These are the time things that we want, our hopes and dreams and desires, and how, how many kids we're going to have and how we're going to raise them and how we do, uh, how we do conflict and how we do our calendar and, and how we do money and all these kinds of things. And we bring them into a relationship, except that they're different than what the other person brought into the relationship. And, and so our expectations and our reality as we come into a relationship are different, much like this, right? The expectation is the kiss is going to be like that. And the reality is, oh, that wasn't really as good as I thought. At home, it's like this and we're fighting in public. It's like that and we're all happy, right? The expectation is we're going to cuddle at night, you know, and snuggle and spoon. And the, expect, and the reality is she's going to take up most of the bed. The, the expectation is we're going to fight in a good way. The reality is husband forced to live on the lawn, okay? Expectation, board games, we're all going to love each other. Reality is we got our screens up the whole time. Expectation, well, you can see it, right? That, that's the reality, okay? That's the reality. And here's the problem. When, when you give me a box when you give me a box of your hopes and dreams and desires, they're not, and they're not my hopes and dreams and desires, they turn into expectations. Now all of a sudden when I've given my stuff to you, the reality is you feel like, well, wait a minute, th this, is not, this is not how I wanted it, and now you're putting expectations on me. So, so when I met Denise and when we decided to get married, uh, I brought her ring and my box to Glendale Christian Church in Springfield, Missouri on February 11th, 1984. Valentine wedding, red and white, it was beautiful. And of course, I thought my box made perfect sense. I mean, why wouldn't anybody want to center their life around my box, right? Except that she had different ideas. 
You know, like, like we talked the first week about what, she, what, what your wife is going to sleep in. You have this, this expectation, and, and, and then there's a reality. My expectation was what Elf found, um, you know, for someone special, and the reality was more like this. She just wanted to be comfortable, okay? You understand? And when it comes to, I mean, like that's an expectation that doesn't work. So somewhere in between there, we've got to figure out how to do this and how to understand this. And I loved having Shanti here last weekend, didn't you, to talk to about men and women and how, how different they are, and she's a she, so I thought that was important for you to hear from that. But, but as we do this, the, the, the reason we use the Pina Colada song is it be just be, thought we'd have fun with it, and it's so ironic. I mean, it's just so ironic that they've never had a conversation about tropical drinks or yoga, isn't it? I mean, they're literally like breaking up. If you don't know the song, he reads an ad, you know, for a, a, like a dating ad, and he, and he answers it, and it's her. And then they, they were on their way to divorce court with the irreconcilable differences that they didn't even have. I can imagine the, the judge at divorce court going, okay, what's, what's, what's wrong here? And he says, well, judge, we just can't make this work. She doesn't like pina coladas or getting caught in the rain, and she's into yoga. And she's looking at him like he's got two heads. She, finally, the judge says to her, what, well, what, you know, what do you think? And she's like, I don't know what his deal is. I love pina coladas. Rain is my favorite, and I'm a kickboxing instructor. I don't like yoga either. You can break an artery that way. Did you hear that report this last week? Okay. They're very compatible. They just hadn't done the work of having the conversation. And even if you're not compatible in the areas of tropical drinks and sand sex, you can still have great relationships if you learn some very basic relationship principles and if you learn how to love, okay? Just returned from a trip to Greece and Turkey. I promise this isn't going to be awkward as I unbutton my shirt. I'm, I'm showing you. I was in Greece, okay? I was in Sparta, so... Probably only the guys are going to get this. This is from the movie 300. I, I, I mean, I got to get a good T-shirt when I'm, when I'm there, right? Caution, this is Sparta, right? I, Greece and Turkey was uh, a trip to explore Christianity as it started to spread to the non-Jews. That's really important that you understand this. It's not important that you get to go do this. It was super meaningful to me, the 42 people that went with me, as we looked at the steps of the Apostle Paul. And we, and we looked at all these places, Ephesus, we went to Philippi, we went to Thessalonica. If you're thinking, I've heard those, but yeah, those are letters in the New Testament that were written by Paul to these churches. We were in Patmos. We got to go to Patmos where John had the vision of revelation and Jesus appeared to him. And it was crazy cool because this represented for me what it, what it was like for us as non-Jews to finally get to be in the kingdom. I called it hashtag adoption tour because it was about us being adopted into the family. And one of the really cool sites was, was Corinth. A lot of relics in Greece. Obviously, this is a, a leftover temple. This is the temple of Aphrodite. The Greek goddess of love, the Greek goddess of sex, fertility, all of that kinds of stuff. And Corinth was a place where people, I mean, every town kind of had their, you know, their big gods that they worshipped in the, in the Greek mythology and, and they were left over from Roman mythology. And, and so Corinth was known for the temple of Aphrodite, which had temple prostitution going on, which was really basically just a place of sexual immorality, Okay. I mean, it was, it was so much known for sexual immorality that to Corinthianize became a verb for hooking up. 
I mean, like their town became a verb for, for sexual immorality. It was full of people who were very far away from Jesus. Now, here's why this trip was so important to me. I mean, if you get to go on one trip over there, you should go to Israel and, 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 and see Jerusalem and do those kinds of things. But this was important to me. Because Jesus and Peter are preaching to Jews who have this concept of God that, that's already born in them out of the Old Testament. They already kind of know who God is. They don't really understand grace and all of this stuff yet, but they kind of know who God is. Paul is going into the rest of the world, and he's teaching people who have these really crazy idea. I mean, they got Zeus throwing lightning bolts and they got, you know, Aphrodite who, you know, it's it just like all these different gods and a crazy concept of God and they're so messed up. So, so you need to know that because as you read these letters to these churches, you need to understand a little bit about who he's writing to. And when you read Corinthians, first and second Corinthians in the New Testament, you're like, these people were jacked up, man. Paul's, Paul's writing stuff that they ought to know already. Like one of the things he tells him is, hey, you guys, quit getting drunk at communion. You, you ought to know that already, right? He's like, hey, there's a guy in your church who's sleeping with his stepmom. Tell him to stop that. That's in the Bible. That, that, that's, that's what Corinth was like. It was that messed up. And it's to that church and it's to that culture that Paul writes the letter of 1 Corinthians. So, so what he's trying to help them to understand is Peter and, and the Jews all had an idea of love already and what love was supposed to be like. And the Corinthians had this crazy messed up idea of love. And it was way coming from a whole different place. And it's to those people to a church in that town that Paul writes a piece of scripture that you probably had in your wedding. You didn't even realize what the whole thing was all about. He said, listen, let me tell you about love. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Supernatural angelic language was an important thing to them. He said, you can, you, can, you can nail that and have that. If you don't have love, you're nothing. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not, here it is again, have love, I am, I'm nothing, okay? Like literally in the Greek, he's saying, even if you're the smartest person in the room, if you don't have love, you can answer any question possible and you don't have love, you are nobody because knowledge is not what we're after here. Love is what we're after. And I need to say this because it's really important. The deepness of our relationship with God, and, and I really should just say the deepness of our relationship with anybody is not demonstrated by what we know. It's demonstrated by what we do. You want to be deep, you love. Then he goes on, he says, even if I give all my money away, if I give all that I possess to the poor, and I give my body over to hardship, like I give everything away, and I go over to Africa, and I dig wells, and I get malaria, and I die. Even if all of that happens, if I do not have love, I gain nothing. Okay, love sounds really important, Paul. People are going, okay, well... So what, it, what does your kind of love look like? What, what is love supposed to look like? Love is patient. This is the part you probably had. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not 
does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This is not the kind of love that the church at Corinth understood. Not even close. And then he goes kind of rapid fire. Love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. And he used a different word. Now, here's the problem. Um, you, under, you understand the Greek language thing, right? I, I mean, it's just, fun to, it's just fun to be there. It's fun to be, you know, it, and, and to think about all the Greek language stuff. Because the Greeks had a lot more language than, than we do as English people, okay? So, like, we say, I love pizza, I love the bulls, I love my wife, right? It's just love. Okay? But it, there's different meanings. So the Greeks have different names for it. For example, storge was the kind of love that you have as parents and children, okay? That, that was definitely one of them. And then there was eros, you probably know that. Erotic comes from that. That would be sexual passion. Oh, the Corinthians understood that. Like the name of their town kind of went along with that. You understand that. And, and then there was philea because Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, right? So that's friendship, right? That, that's all good. But then there's one more word for love that they had in their language. And it was this one that he's trying to describe to them that they don't have any concept of whatsoever. And it was an unconditional love. I mean, the world knows about philea, love, friendship. They know about eros, love. They know about parents and child, uh, right? I mean, Corinth knows their, their, their temple of Aphrodite is there. And, then, and, and that eros is, is important. I mean, Shanti talked about that in marriage. It's important, but it's fleeting. It doesn't last, okay? The romantic and exciting and wonderful, it doesn't last. It's unstable. I mean, it's here and then it's gone and then it's back again. And that's why people fall into love and fall out of love. And that is one aspect of love. And that's important, but that's not the kind of love that he's talking about. He says, this love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So here's the difference. Storge doesn't apply to marriages because it's, it's parents and, and, and children, okay? Philea is a when kind of a love, all right? It, it says, I'll love you when you're someone that I want to be connected to. The, the problem is I'm not always that person. So sometimes my friends stop being my friends because I'm not always that person because it's based on when. Eros is, is if, okay? If you're a person who will meet my needs, if you're a person that I'm attracted to, then we're going to have this and, and, and that's all going to be good. Guess what? God never uses either one of these love, these love terms in the Greek when he's describing what marriage is supposed to be like. He always uses the agape, which is the no matter what, because I choose to. And the funny thing about applying this to our marriages is that agape has no concept of emotion in it whatsoever. The word agape never described how a person felt. The Greek word agape had to do with right actions. It was about right behavior. So for example, for God so loved, most famous verse in the world, for God so loved the world, what kind of love? Well, not even storge, even, not even parent-child. It was agape love. For God so agape loved the world that he sent his son to die on a cross so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. 
Did God feel like loving us? I don't think so. Do you think God looked down from heaven at the sinfulness of our world and, and had warm fuzzy feelings. He wanted to give us a big hug. No, he did not. He made this decision based on the love that he decided to have for us. Now imagine a marriage that's built around that kind of love where you're not worried about your hopes and dreams and desires. It's theirs that are important. It's the, the things that they need that are important. It's I will love you no matter what. I will love you even if you won't love me. We were also in Ephesus, which was another really cool site. Paul wrote a letter to that church that he started there. And he, and he said this. He said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, okay? This is where he starts to talk about marriage specifically. 1 Corinthians 13 wasn't really there, but this is marriage specifically. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The, the Greek word hypotasso means it's something you do to yourself, okay? And I, just got, I just gotta say, um, the, when you go to Greece, you can't help but just feel like you're living in my big fat Greek wedding. You remember that movie? You know, I mean, I mean, because, you know, it's just like, it's just it's just all around you. And the language thing was hilarious. I keep bringing up these Greek words. I got to take my daughter and her husband, my wife and I got to take my daughter and her husband uh, with us on the trip. They don't have babies yet. So they were able to go with us and we had a blast and we're shopping one night uh, in, a, in, a, in one of the stores and Becca's trying to decide between like literally a $9 ring or a $15 ring. And she's taking forever. She's like, oh, this one would be so great for that. But oh, but this one, you know. And finally, I looked at this store owner. I'm like, I raised her. She's a drama queen. <laughs> and then I said, what's the Greek word for drama? And he said, drama. <laughs> I just felt like, you know, Mr. Portacopoulos is going to be here, right? You know, driving. Arachnophobia. Everything goes back to the Greek. This is how it is, right? So, so hypotasso means something one does to oneself. It's important for you to understand that. So, so when they said love, it was agape. When they said submit, it was about, you can't make somebody else submit. That's called slavery. That's a different kind of a word. You get that, right? So, so this is what it is. So Jesus says, he says in John 10, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. And submit means I'm going to make your priorities more important than my priorities. Just like that. Gary Thomas is a great writer on, on marriage. He said, I believe the times that I'm happiest and most fulfilled in my marriage are the times when I'm doing my best to be a better husband rather than demanding a better wife. What is that? That's agape love, okay? That's submitting my needs to you. That's submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And you're like, oh, I don't think I could do that. Wait, wait, wait. Did you catch this? Did you catch this? Out of reverence for Christ. Not out of reverence for your spouse, not out of reverence for the person that you're in relationship with. This is a powerful concept. Jesus is saying, look, take all of your, your, your passion and your gratitude for me that you have for me because I saved you and I died for you and take that and turn it sideways. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And ain't nobody more neighborly than the person who sleeps in your bed. 
I want you to take this debt-free relationship that we have, and I want you to apply it over here. Then he goes on, and, and, he, and he gets more specific. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It's not about whether they're worth it or not, as to the Lord. And husbands, you're submitting too, but you love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You're supposed to sacrifice, and in case you missed it, and gave himself up for her. There's no expectation box there. There's, no, there's nothing that I dump on the other person there. It's not about how lovable he is or how, how wonderful she is or how much they meet your needs. There's no if, there's no when. It's because. It's, it's no matter what. Because I decided. Now, do you know why God designed our marriages to be like that? It's because of this. It's because God wants Denise, my wife, to know how much he loves her. And he put me there to be a channel and an instrument of his love to her. And he did the same thing for me through her. That is a crazy different view of love, isn't it? It's a crazy different view of what marriage is supposed to be like. You are God's tool in demonstrating his love for your spouse. For that matter, you're God's tool for demonstrating God's love to everybody around you. How do we do that? Submission. Richard Foster says, submission is the ability to lay down the terrible burden I have of always needing to get my own way. You see why that's not so natural? But can you also see how liberating it is when, when you do that? When you say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about this, and, and I'll come back to this in a second. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm just going to, I'm just going to love, I'm just going to love them. And if you're sitting here thinking, eh, boy, she really needs to hear this message, you, 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 you're getting it all messed up, okay? It's not about, I mean, if your spouse isn't listening to this, I mean, try to get them to listen, that's all great, but it's about you. Okay, If you're single and you, you're not in a relationship right now, this is what you ought to understand. This is, what it ought to, this is how it ought to be for you as you think about what it might look like to live with someone for the rest of your life. To, to be serving them, to be serving one another out of a healthy place of submission, not needing to get my own way. And think about how freeing that would be to put other people's needs first. Think about how that could change a marriage, it could change a family. I did a sermon back in August when I first came back from study break, and I talked about how Jesus walked into the Last Supper, right? He's there at the very, very end. He knows he's getting ready to go to the cross, and, he's and the Last Supper is there, and all the disciples are there, and nobody's washing anybody's feet. Why is that? Because they were doing phileo love, right? Like bro love. Yeah, I love you too, bro, but I'm not washing your feet, okay? Because that would, that would involve submission. And phileo love doesn't really involve that. And your feet are stinky and that's a, that's a win thing. So I'm not going to do the win thing. I, you know, just, just, just leave your feet the way they are. And Jesus comes in and what does he do? He, he, he takes off his robe and he picks up a towel and he washes their feet. And then he says, now that I, your master, have washed your feet, you should watch each other's feet. And nobody could be more important in that category than the person that you live with. The verse I read doesn't have to do with marriage either that Paul wrote the book uh, to the church at Philippi. And um, 
I read it at every wedding I do because it really exemplifies this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Don't look to your own interest, but to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, I mean, for crying out loud, he's, he's God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. This is what the Christmas story is all about. And being found in appearance as a man, he didn't stop there. He humbled himself even more by becoming obedient to death. And not just death, but death on the cross. Think about how amazing a relationship would be if two people decided that they were going to do that. And that's my prayer for you, okay? This preaching thing has been an interesting revelation for me lately. I mean, it's a large congregation, and a lot of you are watching online from all over the place, and, and I get it. But I realized lately I'm not just a preacher. I'm not just a guy with a platform. I'm still a pastor. It hit me when I was in Greece, and one of my friends who's a member here for 22 years, Joe Prattle, passed away, got an infection, and died. And I was over there, and I, I wanted to be here. And I realized, I mean, I know you don't know me, and I know I don't know everybody, and I get all that. But Joe was around back in the day, back in the Spartan three, when we were about 300 people. We were the, we were the Spartans back in that day. He was, he was an encouragement to me, and it, and it really bothered me. And, and, I, and that's good, because I'm still a pastor, even though, you know, this. Another thing that happened recently was I preached about the differences between us and Catholicism. And um, I guess it stirred things up with pretty much all the Catholic churches in the area, uh, which makes sense, right? And I tried to say as much as I could that I that love the Catholic church and, and they're my brothers and sisters, but I wasn't trying to address the Catholic church. I was talking to our congregation. I was addressing their questions. I know the Catholic doctrine is not that you pray through Mary. I, I even said that. But what I know is that 90% of the people who come to me from that background think that's what they're doing. So that's why I was trying to communicate. And I applaud the local parishes for responding to me and, and for their people because that's what a local shepherd ought to do. And it's a little different because we have this platform. Almost 400,000 views of our, of our website last year alone. I mean, people all over are, are watching. I, and if that's you, I just want you to know what my primary role is. My primary role is to my flock. And you can be a part of my flock and be in Zimbabwe. That's all great. I, I, I just want you to understand I'm, 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 that, that's my message, okay? Another thing that was a revelation to me was a rather weird and unfortunate example. Um, when your pastor uh, was in Greece and kind of went off on another group's tour guide, because um, I was, uh, well, it wasn't kind of went off. I mean, I really went off. I was trying to keep our group together. I was in the back group, and this other group got in between, and I didn't feel like this guy was helping, and, and he kind of gave me some attitude. And, I, I mean, I, I, I went off. I didn't think he was doing what he was supposed to. And, I, I mean, I didn't swear. I didn't punch him, but I went spider monkey on this guy. 
And I wasn't jacked up on Mountain Dew. And to be clear, I, I was wrong, okay? And I apologized to him and his group the next day for it. And no doubt I was tired and crabby. But as I reflected on it, I think a big part of my inappropriate reaction was that I'm a shepherd and nobody messes with my sheep, okay? That, that's, that's what I am. That's who I am. But the other thing that really affected me recently was, was the whole trip and two places on the trip that really affected me and made me realize what my role is and why I do what I do and why I need to do it for a lot longer. And, and, and it was being in Corinth. I mean, you guys, there's a museum in Corinth that has, you know, relics and it got vandalized and stolen from, so there's not a ton of them anymore. But, but there, there, there were, there's a place where there are statues of people who had venereal disease when they died. And they made statues of them with weird growths coming off of weird places and disformities and misshapen things. I mean, like the statues are, you've all seen the, you know, the Roman statues and the other things. I mean, like these were like crazy. What was going on? And, and what we found out was that venereal disease was rampant. Venereal disease is based on the word Venus, which was the Roman equivalent of Aphrodite. And as these people are, as, as Corinth is looking for love in all the wrong places, Paul is there and he's preaching to them, wait a minute, I know what love is. It's way different than you thought. And I thought, that's, that's what I do. That's, that's what the church is supposed to be about. I want you to understand there's a better way. And then we get to Athens at the very end, and I'm standing on Mars Hill, and I've been looking forward to this because it was one of, my, one of those sites I really wanted to be. And Mars Hill was a place where Paul preached to, to the people in Athens. And in Athens at that point, that was the, that was the socio-religious center of the world, and everybody came, you know, Socrates, Aristotle, you think about all that. Everybody came to Athens to talk and to argue about religion and about philosophy and all these things. And this is where Paul goes, and it says his heart just broke for the town. And that your tour guide told us that the suicide rate in Athens at that point from history we know was, was incredibly high because people had no hope because they had a million gods. And Paul goes in in Acts 17 and he says, look, you guys have gods. I mean, they had like gods sitting everywhere. And he said, I, I see all the gods you have. I need to tell you about the one true God. I need to tell you about, and he used one of their current examples of an of a, of a idol that was to the unknown God. And he said, hey, let me tell you about the unknown God. I know him. And there is hope. I, I, I broke down. I mean, I, I couldn't get through it. Paul was a pastor. And he started these churches. And he wrote these letters to these churches because he knew the amount of, of hopelessness and fear that was going on in their lives. And he knew he had a better answer. And I just realized again, that's why I do what, what I do. And as your pastor, I'm pleading with you. There's a better answer. And here's the deal. There's no way another person is ever gonna fix all this for you, okay? your hopes and dreams and desires. I hope you'll work together in your relationships to make this happen. But there's no way another human being can do this for you because it's not possible. So what should you do? Well, you should take this box to God. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open, right? 
Take this box to God. Cast all your cares upon him, all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Unload the items in your desire box on God. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have hopes and dreams and desires. I'm saying it doesn't matter if you marry the perfect person, they're never going to be able to fulfill them because they're not God. I'm saying seek first all of these things and his righteousness, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Brandon Manning says it this way, if you want to truly love, we must return again and again to the great love of the great lover. Max Cato, great pastor and writer, talked about the Apostle John and how he wrote this whole passage of Scripture, uh, three verses about how God loves us. And then he takes one verse and he says we ought to love one another. And he said, you know, here, here's what he said. Our tendency as preachers is to tell the church, you guys need to go love people. You need to go love your neighbor, love your wife, love your kids without being sure that we've told them that they know how much they are loved. And that is a great point. He went on to use a sponge as an illustration. He said, what we need to do, what I need to do as a pastor is remind you that your love comes from up there. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you can love your neighbor as yourself. You take a sponge and you're going to go use it. You don't just use it like this. What do you do? You get it wet. Because if you take a crispy, crusty, hard, brittle sponge and go try to use it for something, it's not going to do any good. And he said, what I'm suggesting is that, that, that people come to us pastors with their crusty, brittle, hard hearts, and then I tell them to go love somebody, and that's kind of impossible. So my primary job as a pastor is to come back and remind you that you are a person that God loves and immerse you into the moisture of God's grace and forgiveness and then your heart can turn around and agape love the people around you. Let me pray. Father, I, I hope I do that enough because you know how much I believe in the good, good father that you are. And as I thought about Paul with the people with idols, the people who were looking for love in all the wrong places, all these churches where Paul was going, it was, it, it was life-changing for me, Lord, and you know that, just to be able to understand that that's who I am. Uh, that's who I'm called to be, to go into the culture, to use the culture, to reach the culture with the fact that there is a better way. Even if heaven was out of the equation, even if eternity wasn't even important or wasn't even a thing, it's still a better way. And as I will remind the family this afternoon at the funeral, eternity is important and heaven is real. So thank you for giving me the best job in the world. It's in your name I pray. Amen.